the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Long ago and far away, when I was a graduate student and could not afford to pay anyone to help me in my frequent moves from one apartment to another, I had to call on my family and friends to help me, which is a thing that we all did, you probably all do for each other. And invariably, I would be moving from one third floor walk up to another third floor walk up, and it would be the middle of summer, because that's when all the moves happened, so it would be hot and humid, and we'd be schlepping boxes of books and kitchenware and clothes and furniture that would barely squeeze through the twists and turns of these narrow staircases of these old Boston or New Haven houses. And I remember one move when I was a young, very young adult, my parents were helping me, so that shows you that's still pretty young. And I was about <clears throat> two-thirds of the way through this process of schlepping things when my dad, heaving some box of theology tomes, said in an amusing way, as though to no one in particular, you know, when Gandhi died, he owned nothing but his begging bowl. <laughs> Imagine that. Of course, back then, surrounded by all my stuff, I could not imagine that, and still less now when I have even more stuff and a much comfier house to put it all in. So when Jesus tells his disciples to go forth into their ministry with nothing, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, not even a change of clothes, my imagination fails me. I can't really imagine what it would be like to venture into the world with nothing, nothing at all. And when Jesus asks his disciples to do this, it seems even more alarming when you consider that in the passage immediately following this one, Herod has started to ask about Jesus. And he said, is this John coming back from the dead? I beheaded John, but who is this Jesus I keep hearing about? This is the little passage that immediately follows Jesus sending his disciples out with nothing. It's an ominous note, and it is a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus is going to suffer the same fate as John the Baptist, and so are his followers. So Jesus is sending them out, as he says elsewhere, as sheep into the midst of wolves. And you would think that in that situation, they ought to at least have some mode of security or protection. But no. No, because they're not going out as tourists or salespeople. They are going out to preach the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to heal and to cast out demons. They're going out on his mission. And when you go out on that mission, going with nothing makes more sense than anything else. For several reasons. For one thing, to take nothing for the journey meant, as it says in the passage, that the disciples had to trust in the hospitality of total strangers. They were thrown upon the goodness of the very people they'd come to preach to, which seems sort of like a paradox. Instead of the ones bringing something, they were the ones who had to receive something. Care, food, shelter. Their vulnerability and their need for the people they came to was part of what preached. And it brought about these relationships of trust and intimacy that their self-sufficiency would not have allowed for. And secondly, because this is Jesus' mission, 
It's about bringing good news to the poor. As he said in his opening sermon in Nazareth, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, to let the oppressed go free. That's the message the disciples have gone out to proclaim. And they couldn't really preach that message from a position of material safety and prosperity. In order for the message to ring true, they had to enter into radical solidarity with the poor to share their lot, which meant to go into the world with nothing. And then there was the most powerful reason of all, which is that by going forth with nothing, the disciples learned, as never before, to put their trust in God. They learned what Jesus learned in the desert at the beginning of his ministry, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They learned what was reinforced right after they returned from their mission, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, that with God we have enough, and more than enough. And they learned what they relearned at the end of the whole story after Jesus' death, when they were walking on their sad and lonely journey to Emmaus, and they discovered, to their surprise, that Jesus was walking with them and had been with them every step of the way. Now, we can think about the road to ministry as a road of acquisition. And seminary can feel like that, a time of acquiring knowledge acquiring expertise, of entering into a profession with its various perks and its pension fund and its path to a relatively secure and prosperous life. However, this text convicts us and it demands that we think about discipleship and ministry differently. It reminds us that following the mission of Jesus is much more a journey of dispossession of letting go, of kenosis, of self-emptying, following the example of Jesus who emptied himself and ended up on the cross. We are called to go into a world that needs our poverty and our vulnerability more than it needs our wealth and our security. That's the way that we can faithfully proclaim the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, that good news to the poor, and to discover the abundance of trusting in God alone. Now, having said this, it can seem impossible. As I said, I have more stuff than ever. The ideal that Jesus sets before us, the ideal of kenosis, can seem unattainable. So we have to remember, he is walking with us, and it's through him and in him that all things are possible, even these things that seem impossible. And the other thing is that we move toward this ideal in stages, just as the people of Israel crossed the wilderness in stages. In some small way, this Spanish Eucharist is a step in that direction. For most of us, it's an experience of dispossession, of disorientation, except for those few of us who really know Spanish, it's an experience of having our own familiar liturgy taken away from us and given back to us in different words, in different language. 
Worshiping in this unfamiliar language allows us to experience what it's like to be the other, to be the one in need, to be the one who knows less. And so it's a little step on this journey of going forth in ministry with nothing. And to enter into this experience, in this liturgy, or whether it's in divesting ourselves of some of our unnecessary stuff, or whether it's an experience of suffering or illness, or in any experience where we feel dispossessed and stripped and rendered empty-handed, to arrive at what T.S. Eliot called a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything. What we find is that there is also joy in that letting go. Because when the disciples came back, not after this trip, but the next one, they rejoiced at all that they had done and the power they'd had and the joy they'd felt, and Jesus rejoiced with them. It's the joy that Jesus promises us of true community, of solidarity with those who have nothing, and the joy of knowing that God is with us powerfully on each step of this journey. Imagine that.